If you're turning with me in your Bibles, we're going to start in Matthew 25. Starting in Matthew 25, verse 14 today. And today, I just want to take a few minutes and I want to start out by talking to you about winning. Winning is fun. Like, everybody enjoys winning. Like they say when you're when you're playing a sport, I you know hear it a lot in kids' sports. This guy used to have a baseball coach that when they'd say, uh, "No, we're just out here. It's all about having fun," and he'd say, "Yeah, that's true. And you know what's fun? Winning. That's what people enjoy." So I say that to let y'all know we won the tournament yesterday. We ended up beating City of Refuge, and we actually had a really good day. Um, we were down 15 to 3 in one game, losing 15 to 3. And we scored 13 points in one at bat. Batted around, everybody on the team batted. We batted around and we got to bat again. Like, we came back and won that game. We actually, the game got called early. We were still scoring. They didn't even have us out yet. It was 34. We scored 34 points. And they called the game. That's how good we were hitting. But at the beginning of that game, 15 to 3 looks pretty bad. In the, I don't remember, what was it, second or third inning? We were down pretty bad. But then we came back and run rolled them. And it felt pretty good. But I wanted to say that and bring that up just to brag. It has nothing to do with the message. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I wanted to point out the fact that that was a great victory, but it didn't come from one person stepping up and jacking a deep home run. It doesn't matter. If one person stepped up and muscled up and hit one completely over the oak tree and hit the chicken houses over there, and it was the furthest home run we've ever seen in our whole entire lives, it still wouldn't have made us win. No, it took every one of us getting a hit. Well, except three of us because we didn't end up getting three outs. But what I'm trying to say is it took each one of us making an investment, getting a hit, doing our part, running, sliding, letting Titus run for us, whatever. And even in that, it's knowing you're too slow if you let Titus run for you. That's called doing your part. And so everyone did their part, and we came back and won. Everybody made investments and even some sacrifices. People dove and slid and got hurt, put their body in front of balls and got hit. Right, You made some sacrifices for what? To win. We stayed positive and did what we could while encouraging each other. That sounds a lot like what our life's supposed to look like. Right? Even when we're down, we keep doing what we can do and encouraging each other to do what they can do. We make investments, 
and we make sacrifices and we keep pushing forward. We stay positive. We encourage each other. That's, that's what the church is supposed to look like. And if we want to win, that's what it has to look like. If we want to advance the kingdom, that's what it should look like. That's why all throughout the New Testament, we see unity. We see looking at the early church, generosity and unity, generosity and unity. Because we're supposed to be one. Jesus prayed, God, that they would be one just as you and I are one. That we would be one. That's what we're supposed to be. The last two weeks we've been talking about stewarding. If you didn't hear those, go back and listen to them. Um, Because we've been kind of building off of each one each week. So first we talked about stewarding your pain. And how do you steward your pain? Well, and it was kind of weird, like idea, a weird thing to talk about. Um, but God really spoke, spoke through it and to us through that. But then last week we talked about stewarding your time. And the minutes that you have every day and what you choose to do with those minutes. And do you invest them or do you waste them? Or do you, what, what do you do with your time? Are you a good steward of your time? But you could say it like this. We've been talking about investment opportunities. Where do you choose to invest? Where do you, you have all these minutes. Like we all have the same amount of minutes every single day that we wake up. And where you choose to invest your minutes and where I choose to invest my minutes could make all the difference in the world. We all have the same amount of minutes. We don't know how many more we've got. But we all have minutes. We're all still breathing. So I want to kind of shift our focus and shift the way we're thinking about it. And think about it as investment opportunities. And I want to start out by looking at what Jesus said. And he's giving an example of what the kingdom of heaven looks like. And he talks to his disciples about investments. This is what the kingdom is supposed to look like. Verse 14, for the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. So the word that was translated goods, it's a Greek word, and it just simply means wealth, property, possessions, or money. He delivered him his goods, unto them his goods, and unto one he gave five talents. To another, two. And to another, one. To every man according to his several ability. And straightway took his journey. Alright, so Jesus said, this has got to be pretty important because Jesus is teaching the disciples. This is what the kingdom of heaven looks like. A man was going on a journey and he called the three and he gave one five. He gave one two and he gave one one. And said, here, here's what you're given. See what you do with it. He didn't give them instructions on exactly what they should do with it. He just gave it to them, and then now I'm going to see what you do with it. Much like life and time and 
pain and moments and money and all kinds of things. Now, I want to point out that God doesn't judge me according to what he gave someone else. See what we just read? According to his ability. It said he gave one five and one two and one one according to his ability. What does that mean? What he could handle. Remember where Jesus said, he who is faithful in a little will be made steward over much. If you're faithful with what you have, God gives you more. It's a biblical principle that we find all throughout Scripture in the Old and the New Testament. In Proverbs, it says the world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. So Jesus said, if you're faithful with what you're given, you're going to be given more. So he gave to each, each one of the servants according to his ability or what he could handle. So my question for you is this morning, what are you doing with what you have? Don't focus on what you don't have. Don't focus on what everybody else has or what you should have or what you could have if you would have made a different decision back there in life, in your past, or what, like, what are you doing with what you do have? Because honestly, in the kingdom, that's what matters. It doesn't, you're wasting time. You're actually wasting minutes to sit around worrying about what you don't have. Worrying about what, where you can't invest. Where you can't serve or you can't give. You're wasting time. You're wasting moments that you could be investing. It's not about what you don't have. Well, I don't have a microphone to say what God's saying to me. Well, maybe in this season, you've been trusted with a mop. It's not about where, what you have, what you don't have, what position you hold, what you don't hold. Nobody's helping me be what God's called me to be. Nobody's helping me walk out the dream that's in my heart. Maybe God's seeing if you will be faithful. You got to work what you got. You ever heard the saying like, hard work beats talent? They made some, I think Nike had some shirts and stuff, the hard work beats talent. But then there's the other saying that, yeah, hard work does beat talent unless talent works hard. And then, oh well. Talent wins. God doesn't give the goods. Remember the goods, the wealth, the property, the possessions, the money. The... God doesn't give the goods based on who he likes more. That's not the example we get like, oh, I like him better. He's getting five. I don't like him. He's getting one. That's not what Jesus just taught us in the first part of this, this parable. That's not true. It says according to his ability. Have you been faithful? Your ability is up to you, not God. Where it says according to his ability, that's up to you, not God. 
Think about that. Like what you can handle. Have you been faithful with what he's given you before? It's up to you. Guess what? I cannot bench press 500 pounds. I know y'all are surprised. Y'all thought I could. (laughs) I can't bench press 500 pounds. Do I have the ability? Is it physically possible? Yes. It could happen. Like It's not that it's an impossibility for a man my size and my age to bench press 500 pounds. That's possible. It could happen, but I can't do it. Why? I have the ability, but I haven't been faithful to invest in that area. I would have had to be faithful and disciplined and diligent diligent and invest in that area multiple days a week and be pushing and working on my chest and my triceps and everything else to be able to bench press a large amount of weight. I just haven't made investments in that area. So if I was laying on a bench right here with a weight bar over me and the, the Lord, the master, whatever, came up and started putting weights on, he could only put up to my ability which is probably only like 485. I couldn't do 500 or less. <laughs> or maybe a lot less, probably. <laughs> but you understand the point that I'm trying to make. Like it's your ability. God gives you according to your ability. You can expand your capacity, your ability. How? By being faithful with what you have in your hand. By being faithful with what you have now. It stretches, it grows, it makes your life bigger. We ask God to bless things that we aren't willing to work on or invest in. Don't let that be your prayer life. Hey God, bless this. And and you're praying that God will bless something that you're not willing to work on or invest in yourself. And that can even be said about the church. God, please bless New Horizon Worship Center, my church. But yet you're not willing to come and invest or to give time, talent, treasure. to. You're not willing to invest in any way. But you pray that, that God would bless it. Success in the kingdom is obedience. What will you do with what's in your hand? Those of you that do invest here in the church and you give, the cool thing about it is that when we become one and in the body of Christ, when we do invest in church and we become a part and we make things happen and we give in offerings and we we do all these things, then everything that we do as a church, you're a part of. You get credit for it. You get blessed for it. It makes your life and your world bigger because together we can do a whole lot more than any one of us can do on our own. We're able to bless people and we're, we're able to, to sow into other ministries and do all kinds of things because we collectively do it 
It's not just one of us. We all have to do our part. And that's success in the kingdom. Jay Williams is an NBA basketball player, and he played for the Bulls. And he tells the story about how they were going to play the Lakers back when Kobe and Kobe and Shaq were both on the Lakers. And he was real nervous that he was going to play them, and they were really good. And so he decided they had a 7 o'clock game that night. And so what Jay Williams decided was that he was going to show up to the court at 3 o'clock and that he was going to shoot until he made 400 shots. Not shoot 400 shots, make 400 shots before the game just to make sure he was on and tuned up and, and used to the rims that were where they were going to be playing that night because he was nervous. Well, he tells the story that he showed up to the gym at 3 o'clock and he went in there and Kobe Bryant was already in the gym sweating like crazy, sprinting back and forth, taking shots. He was like, man. So he goes over to the other side, to the other goal, and he tries to just block out Kobe, and he did his 400 shots, what he had planned to do. It took him an hour and a half to make 400 shots. He made the 400 shots. He was getting ready to go and picked up his stuff, took a towel, wiped off, and he looked over, and guess what? Kobe Bryant was still going hard. Still shooting, 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 and Jay Williams packed up his stuff and left. So that night at 7 o'clock, they show up to play the game, and Kobe dropped 40 points on them that night and beat them. And after the game, Jay asked Kobe, you're probably the best shooter in the NBA. You're arguably one of the best players. And you were here in the gym working before I got here. And you stayed until I left. I, I had a goal to hit 400 shots and you were still working when I left. So. So what was your goal, and why are you working that hard? You're already, you're already so good. Like, if I could get as good as you, wouldn't have to work that. Like, what was your goal today? And he said, my goal was to still be working as hard as I could when you left. He said, well, you didn't know how long I was going to stay. And he said, yep. Because I wanted you to know when we stepped on the court that you can't outwork me. No matter what. Man. What will you do with what you have? How hard are you willing to work? How many sacrifices are you willing to make? How much investment will you give? If you go on and read this story... Actually, let's go on and read a couple more, read a little bit more. Then he that received the five talents went and he traded with the same, and he made them other five talents. He made he went and invested them. And likewise, he that received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and he digged in the earth, and he hid his Lord's money just that right there how Jesus said that he hid his Lord's money like it wasn't even his 
It was given to him. God gave it to him much like God gives you stuff and then see what you're going to do with it. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. I doubled your money. And his Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things, and I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. I doubled mine too. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. Now will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Notice the reward is, yeah, like he said, I'm going to make you steward over many things. I'm going to give you more things. And great, you did good with what you had, so I'm going to give you more. But the reward is you enter into the joy of the Lord. Joy, strength in the kingdom of God. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's the reward. It's not that you get more talents. The reward wasn't that you're going to get more stuff. Good job, you doubled it, and now you get 15. That wasn't the reward. The reward was that you get to enter into joy. Then he which had received the one talent came and he said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strode. And I was afraid. I let fear lead. Remember we talked about that a few weeks ago. Like faith and fear, they're always there together. Every time I've stepped out in faith, fear's been there. And you choose which one you will let lead. You choose which one to follow. You step out in faith and trust and belief. Or you can follow fear. These first two, their fear didn't stand a chance. Put it in the words of the song we just sang. But this third one, he was afraid. He followed his fear. He didn't have faith and trust because what if I lost it? Or what if the master got mad at me? Or what if his heart towards me is not good? What if I, I'll just rather just hide it. At least I wouldn't lose it. At least it wouldn't get stolen. Or if I can't take care of it, you know, at least I can just take care of me and I won't get in trouble or punished later. So I'm just going to live my life and, you know, whatever about all of y'all, I hope it goes good. I hope your investments go good. I, I hope you giving and helping people and serving and, and helping out these different ministries is good. But for me, I, I'm worried that if I give this, then I might not get it back and I might get in trouble. I'm going to just go hide mine and bury it. Make sure I'm good. And I was afraid. And I went and hid thy talent in the earth. God, I just, I took what you gave me and I just kind of buried it. 
and I just lived my life. I didn't use it to bless anybody or help anybody or to advance the kingdom. And I didn't use it to connect with other people. And I just, got, I just kind of took it and buried it because I just needed to go to work and, and do what I needed to do and what I felt like and wanted to do. So I just went and buried it. I hid it. So I was afraid to step out in faith. Lo, there thou hast, that is thine. I did what I should. I took care of what was mine. Verse 26 says, His Lord answered and he said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant. It's good new insult there. Slothful. A wicked and slothful servant, thou knowest that I reap where I sowed not, gather where I have not strode. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money in the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. He said, at least you could have put it in the bank, and I could have drawn a little bit of interest off of it. That's what he was saying. Like, at least you could have done that. And I would have gotten some interest. You could have done something. You had the ability. Take, therefore, the talent from him. And give it unto him which hath ten. For under every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have an abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. I referenced it earlier, but um, Proverbs eleven twenty four, in the Message Bible, it says the world of the generous gets larger and larger, and the world of the stingy, it just gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And and a lot of people have would translate that to mean like you're going to get thrown into hell but if you go do some studying and looking into that and breaking that down that's not talking about hell and Jesus didn't just switch over when he's he's talking to us about the kingdom of heaven he's talking to us about walking out the kingdom of heaven while we're alive he's teaching his disciples and then he didn't just switch over and start talking about something else he said there shall be well, you'll be thrown into outer darkness. See, we're supposed to be light. The kingdom of heaven is light. And so what Jesus is saying is just the opposite. That, that what he's going to receive and then the weeping and gnashing of teeth, it's the opposite of joy and strength, what the other guy's got. He says, yeah, you're just going to have weeping and this gnashing of teeth, this annoying gnawing at you like this. Because why? Because you were scared. You let fear lead and you were not faithful with what you were given. You weren't faithful to invest and to give so you don't have that joy. You live in darkness. You can't see clear. You can't see what God's doing. You can't see in front of you. You're, you're scared about what's going to happen in the future. And you're, you, you have no clarity. That's because you're living in darkness. Why? 
Jesus is saying that could happen because you've not been faithful with what you've been given. So everything's dark. You can't see. You don't have joy. There's, there's weeping and gnashing of teeth and gnawing. So back to verse 15 that we read to, to start off with. And unto one he gave five talents to another two and to another one and every man according to his several ability and straightway took his journey so where it says according to his ability we already hit on that and talked about it some but it's a Greek word and it was translated ability I found this interesting it's the exact same word that was used in Acts 1-8 wherein Jesus told the disciples wait don't go yet because you shall receive power. That word power, it's a Greek word, dunamis, where we get our word dynamite. That's the same word that was used here, and it was translated ability. It's dunamis, power. So according to your power, according to the power that was given to you, it's the same word. So the man is Jesus. The servants are us. The goods, that's the wealth, the property, possessions. Right? He brought unto them his goods. The talents. First thing we think of is, oh, he's talented. We talk a lot about time, talents, and treasures. Like, what are you talented at? What are you gifted with? Like, Bo's a talented guitar player. He's got the talent to play the guitar and hear it and play it. Talents are an opportunity, an investment opportunity. You all have talents. You all have things that you're good at. You all have things that you could be really good at, depending on how much you invest. But what if you started to think of your talents as an investment opportunity? Hey, I've got these talents. Hey, I've got these things I'm good at. Hey, I'm good at talking to people. Or, hey, I'm good at... You fill in the blank. You're all probably good at something. We were all given some kind of talent. So what if you started thinking of it as an investment opportunity? Like, where can I invest this? Same as, you know, like if I have a hundred bucks, well, I can go out and spend it all at McDonald's right now after church. Or I could take that hundred bucks and think, how could I invest this? What could I invest this into that would bring back more money. What would be a smart thing for me to do with this hundred dollars? You can do that with your talents. Just like we talked about last week, you can do that with your time. You think about what I'm going to do with it. So, so what if we started to think of our talents, everything that we've been given as an investment opportunity? This is how the kingdom works. That's what Jesus was saying. The kingdom works like this. God delivers goods to you. And then what happens? Holy Spirit taps you on the shoulder and says, give it to them. Let's see what you'll do with it. God blesses you. 
with a talent or he blesses you with some money or he blesses you with some time. But see, a lot of times you don't see it as a blessing. So if you don't see it as a blessing, then you don't use it to invest and then it's wasted. Or even not, not even just see it as a blessing, you see it as a bad thing. Oh yeah, I just got fired from a job and now I don't know what I'm going to do. I... Or, man, I'm blessed. Look at all this time I've got. Where am I going to invest it? Until God gives me another job, what am I going to do to invest this time? If you see it as an investment, as a blessing, and then you listen to His voice and you obey, then you know what happens? He gives you more. If God gives you a hundred bucks and then Holy Spirit taps you on the shoulder and says, here's what I want you to do with it, and then you do it, guess what happens? He gives you more. Because you were faithful with the little that He gave you. So we just read it. Jesus just taught us that what happens is He gives you more. Because He knows He can trust you and you're not going to be led by fear. You're going to be led by faith. You're going to do what He said. And so He turns around and hands you more. Do blessings go to you or through you? When was the last time you blessed somebody? And I'm not, I'm not, money's a small part of what I'm talking about. I'm talking about with your time and with your talents and your giftings and a word of encouragement or a, there's all different ways. So please don't just think I'm standing up here talking about money. That's a small, small part. It is a part, but it's a small part. Like this week, the last couple weeks, we've been announcing to anybody that wants to help with the Christmas boxes. And it's just a cool thing that we pack those Christmas boxes with all kinds of toys and they get sent all over the world to these kids that really appreciate it. And we get to put all kinds of cool things in there and we can put notes and stuff. And, and so some people, when I when we make the announcement or when Rachel came down last week and read the letter and stuff, it's like, oh gosh, they're just trying to get more, get me to donate stuff that's in Christmas boxes. Or what if you looked at it as, hey, man, I'm glad I'm here. The church has given me an opportunity to invest. Pretty cool thing. I, I like to invest a little bit in that. I don't have any money to chip in for the stuff, but I could show up and help pack the boxes on that Wednesday night. I'm going to talk to them and see when they're doing it. Right? I could, I, I could invest in that area, but here's what we usually do. Oh, I, I, we can't invest to buy a bunch of toys and stuff in Christmas boxes and tools and clothes and toys and stuff. My kids need shoe boxes. How about y'all send them to my house? Right? Why? I don't even know if I'm going to be able to buy a Christmas for my kids. I ain't going to send it overseas to some kid I'll never see. That's selfish. Right? That's scared. That's taking what you have and hiding it because you're afraid you'll lose it. That's not the kingdom. That's not the church. That's not what Jesus taught. In fact, it's kind of taught us the opposite like oh so you need some you're worried you're going to need some toys for Christmas then that'd probably be a great idea right now about two months out from Christmas that you plant some seeds 
Because if I want tomatoes, I, just, I plant tomato seeds. And then guess what grows? A bunch of tomatoes. Nobody ever helps me. Oh, cool. You, do you ever help anybody? <laughs> plant a little seed. Every time I move, I'm by myself. How many people have you helped move? Plant some seed. I'm just saying it's, it's a natural law of sowing and reaping. Don't sit around belly aching because you don't have something that you've not made investments or planted. I don't have an apple orchard. I didn't plant an apple orchard. I'm never going to have one. Maybe I will if I decide to plant one. But I can't sit around complaining that I don't have one if I never took the time to plant it. So invest and give and change the way you look at it. When, I ask, when, when we ask for a volunteer for something to do, look at it as an opportunity. Hey, we need a couple people to help with the nursery. If you looked at it as an investment opportunity, hey, that's an opportunity I could give my time and serve. Hey, yes, I, I want to help with that. I could be used in that area. I'm called to that. Like you want to hurry up and get your name on the list so somebody else doesn't take that opportunity from you. It's an opportunity. It's the cool thing, one of the cool things about church is we get all kinds of opportunities to give and serve. We plant seeds. If you can change your belief system and instead of hearing me ask for money or ask for a volunteer or ask for something you hear an opportunity to invest look at 2nd Chronicles 7 I want to talk to you just for a minute and we're going to close as we wrap this up and I want to spend the last few minutes we've already started talking about it but talking about the church and what the church is supposed to look like and and us as the church and as a part of the body of Christ and as the New Testament church so so we start right here in second chronicles and they had just built back the temple they built the church and this is the old testament um so they had built the temple and that's where God's presence was and in verse 4 it says, Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. And King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. 120,000 sheep? For a sacrifice? To dedicate the new church building? So the king and all the people dedicated the house of God. Wow. That's a lot of sacrifice. Even I mean, back in their day, that's what they did. It was sacrifices, but this was unheard of. King Solomon was like, y'all think y'all seen sacrifices before? Watch this. That was insane. That was way more than God called for. And God even asked for it. It was this huge, huge sacrifice. Why would they do that? Are you willing to sacrifice in your life, in your church, 
in your community? Do you do you sacrifice? Look what happens after the sacrifice. Skip forward a few verses to verse 12. And the Lord appeared unto Solomon by night. And he said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. I wish God would hear my prayers. Do you? I wish God would hear my prayers. I have heard thy prayers and have chosen this place unto myself for a house of sacrifice. A house of sacrifice? I want you to think about this. Now, after the cross, we know, remember Paul said, know you not that you are the temple of the living God. Right? So you're the temple now. You're the house. This, back in the Old Testament, that was the temple, and that's where God's presence was, and they made the sacrifice. Now you're the temple. We're the temple. God's building something, and he's using us as living stones. We see that in the New Testament. So, so you're the temple. If I shut up heaven, that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, Wait, what's he saying? No matter what the circumstances say, even if you don't have provision, right? even if locusts come or, or I send pestilence, there's no rain. No matter what the circumstances say, verse 14, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves, pray and seek my face then turn from their wicked ways then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their land so many times we we pray God send a revival God heal our land God change the world but we don't humble ourselves we don't pray we don't seek his face we don't sacrifice anything. We just want God to show up and do it. Now mine eyes shall be opened and my ears attent to the prayer that is made in this place. What place? The house of sacrifice. The house where selfishness dies. The place where flesh and feelings bow to something greater. And there's only one thing greater. It's God. The place where we come and we sacrifice and we give and we connect. It's great to listen to podcasts and watch a good preacher on YouTube. And that's really good. I do it every, every day, every day of my life, pretty much. I listen to other preachers that I receive from or I'll listen to a podcast. Or, so that's great. It's to go on there and, and to get fed and it's turn on some worship music on your phone and worship. That's awesome and it's good and it can fill you up and, and feed you some. But hear me. None of that can be a substitute for the gathering. For the church. The church 
all throughout. And there's been some wrong ideas and some wrong teaching. And if you really go study it, the church in the New Testament, when they use the word church, the word that's used is the ecclesia. And that's the word that Jesus used multiple times. Like remember when, when Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and Jesus said, Yeah, Peter, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And um, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. Jesus used, I'm going to build my ecclesia. I'm going to build my church. Ecclesia means assembly, congregation, meeting together. This word is used 114 times in the New Testament. It means the gathering together of the saints. The word picture is that people would leave their homes and meet in a place for corporate worship, word, and ministry. Well, Dusty, I am the church. I am the body of Christ. You hear people say all kind of stuff like that. The church is not a building. You're right, it's not. But you by yourself are not the church either. You sitting in your home on YouTube are not the church. There's 114 times in Scripture we can back it up. And if you look it up, the church is when you leave your home and connect with other believers, that is the church. And that is where the promise is that I'll be there in the midst of them. You'll see my tangible presence. I will reveal myself. As you connect, uh, my pinky is part of Dusty's body. But if I cut it off and chunk it on the ball field, it's no longer part of Dusty's body. It has to be connected. Proper blood flow to stay alive. It'll die cut off by itself. You cannot be the church by yourself. You can't be the church alone. You only become the church when you connect with others. That's how we become powerful. I heard about this man that said, he told his wife, you know what, I've decided I'm not going to church tomorrow. And she said, yes, you are. And he said, no, I'm not. I'm not going there. And she said, yes, honey, you are going to get up and go to church tomorrow. And he said, no, I hate that place. I think it's stupid. The preaching is so boring. I can hardly stay awake. I, I don't want to go. I'm not going. And, and he sat there and just rattled off all the things he didn't like about the church and that he wasn't going. And he said, I'll tell you what, you give me one good reason why I should get up and go to that church tomorrow. And his wife said, because you're the pastor. <clears throat> We're supposed to connect. Is it always easy? No. Is relationship easy? No. Is it hard? Yes. Yeah, sometimes it's going to be a sacrifice. Sometimes you're going to have to give to be a part. You got to serve. You got to connect. You got to give. Look at Hebrews 10. 
Hebrews 10, verse 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking this part right here, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. Not just the gathering, the assembling. Take your place, fit together like a puzzle. As the manner of some is, some people forsake the assembling. They don't come together. But exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. What does that mean? This will be more and more important as time goes on. Assemble yourself. You will rise and fall to the level of your relationships. So there's two keys to to living a godly life. Or really it's the same key. It's got two sides. Like if you think about a key, I don't have a I don't have my truck key in my pocket. If you think about a key, it's got two sides, and you need both sides of the key to unlock the door. You got to have both sides of the key. And for us as Christians and in your walk with God, you need two things, two sides of the key that will unlock things in your life. We've just been reading about some of it, and we've been talking about some of it. Well, I keep running into walls. I keep running into closed doors. Feel like no doors are being opened. Knock, 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 and it shall be open. I keep on knocking, 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 knocking. You should have a key that can open some doors for you. So maybe something's out of balance. If you feel like doors are locked on you or slammed in your face all the time, So here are the two things. As Christians, looking at what Jesus taught and all through the New Testament, here's what we find. You're supposed to have two things. Number one, private devotion, like your relationship with God. You should have your own prayer time and worship time and quiet time and and your relationship. You know, God doesn't have any grandkids. We're all first generation. You don't get in on your mama's faith and your daddy's faith. It's supposed to, you're supposed to have your own relationship. So, your private devotion is one. The other one is public gatherings. It's church. It's getting together and connecting with other believers and serving and giving and being a part. That's, that's the two. So, if you only have one you're off balance. If you only have one, you're not who you're supposed to be. You're not unlocking the doors like things are one or the other doesn't work. We're supposed to have private devotion and public gatherings with corporate worship. If you're missing one, then there are lots of doors that you'll never walk through. If you have, number one, the private devotion then you'll be independent. Maybe you know, know some people like this. They, they don't come to church. They don't believe in church. They, they won't, right? So you'll be usually independent, a lot of times prideful. 
these people could be very knowledgeable, right? You know a lot about Scripture. They can sit there and tell you about, well, this means this in the Greek and have a lot of knowledge about the Bible and their relationship with God and, and all these things. But they don't have much authority. No one listens to their voice. They're not connected to much. They're small. They're little. They don't live a big life. Why? And they have no accountability. They have no covering. There's no one over them. There's no one to call them out. If they get out of line, they, there's no, they don't have a pastor or brothers or sisters or and if someone challenges you or calls you out about something that's not right in your life or something that's going on, you'll just run away. You'll blow up. You'll wash your hands of the situation because it doesn't cost you much. You're not invested. If it gets uncomfortable, you just walk away. Who cares? It doesn't hurt you. You got nothing to lose. But when you're invested then it becomes a whole new game because it's like, well, I can't walk. I'm mad, but I ain't leaving because I got too much invested. I've poured too much of myself. I can't run away. But if you don't have the, the public gatherings, you don't have the connection, you never become a part, then it's easy to just walk away or to not even show up. You love God, and you have knowledge, but you won't have authority. Not many people will listen to you. So even though you get more and more stuff, your world just keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller, and you're influencing less and less and less, and, and you don't understand. And It's because you've forsaken the assembling. And then you'll keep saying things like I just talked about. We are the church. The church is not a building. I have church at my house. Well, no, you don't. You can have private devotion. But you're missing something. And I hope you have a pastor. This man shall not live by podcast alone. Forsake not the assembling. And then there's also all kind of other things like, you know, who's going to marry you? I had somebody again last week asking me to preach their wedding. That doesn't go to church here, and I don't know. I don't even, I've never even met their fiance. And I had to turn that down. Right? There are benefits to being connected. Who's going to be there for you? Who's going to have your back? Who's going to pray for you? Who's going to, who's going to preach your funeral when you, when you invest that last little bit of time? To be connected. Okay, so that's if you only have number one, the private devotion. Number two, the public gatherings. Um, usually, 
the people that just show up to church and don't have any private relationship with God, right? They don't worship. They don't read their word. They don't, they don't really give. They just show up to the public gatherings. You're probably not a whole lot of Bible knowledge or, you know, you're probably not going to get really deep. It's usually just surfacey. You know, you don't want to make any too meaningful or deep relationships or you're just going to show up and you're going to put on your smile and... It's very easy for it to become fake. And their only connection to God is the church. Because that's where they're getting God every week. So it's very dangerous because their only connection to God becomes the church. So now when the church does something to let you down or hurt you, you're done with God. Because that was your connection to God was the church. The same can ha happen with the pastor. Right? I am a man of God. Emphasis on man. So I'm going to mess up. And so if you've got me on a pedestal or in the place of God, then when I mess up, then you're going to be offended. And you're going to lose your connection with God because I was never supposed to be your connection with God. You were supposed to have your own connection with God. But if you only have public gatherings, then there's a real danger of you having the church or even the pastor as your connection to God. So, your private devotion and public gatherings. That's what we're supposed to have. Oh, and, and if it's just public gatherings too, if you just think about that, so what, about one and a half hours a week, you connect to God, you wait to worship and pray and read your word and all that until one hour a week. It's just not going to work. You'll not be very powerful. And you'll be easily offended. All the time. You need both sides. It's like your two arms. Right on your body. They're probably close to the same strength. Close. I mean, your dominant arm might be a little bit stronger, but they're probably pretty close. You know, back when I, was, when I was training hard and working out, I know that my right arm was weaker. And so guess what? In the gym, I worked my right arm a little bit harder to make sure I don't leave him behind with the left arm because it was just, it's naturally stronger because it's my dominant arm. But they're pretty close to the same. But what if I just started working out one arm really hard and never worked out the other arm for like a year? If I just started going to the gym and just started doing curls with one arm and never worked out the other arm. I'm going to start to look really weird after a while. Right? When you see me walking around in the summer and I got this one big jacked muscular looking arm and then I got this other arm just hanging down, you're going to be like, man, what's wrong with him? That looks really weird. And when I load up the curl bar to do some curls, even though I've been working out hard for a year I'm not going to be able to curl much more than I could to start with because guess what? When I pick up that curl bar with both arms, this arm still can't lift it. 
even though this arm's strong. And we can do that with both sides of the, the key that I was just talking about. Like, and so maybe as you heard me talking about it, you've realized, you know what? My, my private devotion is not what it should be. My relationship with God, like when I'm alone, when I'm riding in my truck, or, hey, you know what? I haven't been reading the Word or worshiping or praying or anything on my own. I've just been relying on church. Maybe you realized you're weak in that area. You got one side's kind of weak, so start hitting it. Bring that side up, or maybe you realize that it's the other one. Hey, I forsake the assembling. Hey, I mean, and all of y'all are here today, so you... You don't you haven't completely forsaken the assembling of yourselves together. But you can show up and not assemble. You can show up and not give. You can show up and not invest. You can show up and not serve. You can you can show up and be disconnected in your mind. So maybe you realize you're weak in one area or the other. But you need both. Close with Acts 2.44. This is the, the 2.41. This is the, um, the New Testament church. This is what we're supposed to be. This is what we're supposed to look like. And this is what it looked like after Jesus died on the cross. And the Holy Spirit came to dwell in the believers. That day about 3,000 took him at his word and were baptized and were signed up. They committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles and the life together, the common meal and the prayers. Everyone around was in awe. All those wonders and signs done through the apostles and all the believers lived in wonderful harmony holding everything in common they sold whatever they owned and they pooled their resources so that each person's need was met they followed a daily not a weekly discipline a daily discipline of worship in the temple followed by meals at home every meal a celebration exuberant and joyful as they praised God. People in general liked what they saw. Every day their number grew as God added those who were saved. You see, they had both. We just saw it in those few verses. They had both. They had public gatherings and they had private devotion and prayer and they were meeting in homes and they were meeting at the church for corporate worship and, and they were generous. When somebody had a need, they were just selling stuff and helping each other and, and looking for, what does that sound like? Investment opportunities. Oh, there's an area I can help. I'll help. I'll help. I'll help. And it was so attractive from the outside looking in that people were just getting saved and wanting to be a part of it. Every single day, more and more people. It just kept growing and growing and growing because from the outside looking in, it was like, holy cow. Look at these people. They're giving praise and thanking and they're just helping everybody that needs help and they're, they're giving and, and their world and their life just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I want to be a part of that. 
Let me in. I want to invest my life in something like that. I want to invest my life in something that's going to make a difference. Something bigger than me. To be a part of something better than I can do on my own. Remember we talked last week a lot about Joseph and the story of Joseph and how he had to invest. He had to give. He had to make the most of the moments he had in prison. He had to even interpret somebody else's dreams before he saw his come to pass. Right, So he had to let go so that God could give him his dream. Imagine what would have happened if Joseph would have operated out of a selfish heart. Uh, wait until I have to give heart. Things are bad, so I'm just going to survive in these moments. I've really got nothing to give right now. I'm going to wait till I get out of jail. And then I'll serve God. Like, what if Joseph operated out of that kind of heart? He would have never seen the dream come to pass. Because him serving and giving and using his talents, the, interpreting the dreams, that was a talent that God gave him. And so by him using it, that's how he got out of prison. His dream would have never happened. His destiny. Joseph knew that every moment counts. Today matters. So what dream has God placed in your heart? You know, Malachi 3 says, Will a man rob God? You, you remember that scripture that we always talk about when you're talking about tithes and offerings. It says, Will a man rob God? Yeah, you've robbed, robbed me with your tithes and offerings or giving the 10%, your first fruits of what you have. Um, and I was reading that and studying that some because it doesn't really make sense. You know, like you're thinking like, can a man rob God? Well, technically, no. You're not that big. You don't have a gun that can hurt God. Like, can a man rob God? No. He's a pretty big boy. And we think, oh, what it's saying is because I'm not giving my tithes, then I'm robbing God. But no. See, if you don't learn to operate out of a generous heart, then you rob God of the opportunity to change the world through you. If you're operating out of a stingy heart, then you're robbing God, you're robbing yourself, you're robbing other people of the dream that He has placed in your heart. If you ever want to see that dream come to pass, you've got to operate out of a generous heart. But I don't have the time. I don't have the talents. I don't have the, the money to do anything big. Like, I can't do anything great for God or for the kingdom. But you have to give to release it. Well, I can't even make my dream happen. Are you giving to make other people's dreams happen? Right? Some people's dreams are to get their next meal. And you could meet that. Right? You could give to make that dream happen. Maybe you got a bigger, crazy dream, but are you sowing and helping make someone else's dream happen? Sowing those seeds, planting seeds. 
There's a kid that has a dream to get a shoebox full of stuff for Christmas. A handful of toys and a tape measure that he could use to make money with or right you could make that happen you could sow a seed and make a little kid in an orphanage in another country's dream happen for not even that much money right how about this there's a mom trapped in slavery being forced to do unthinkable things but she can't get out her dream is just freedom and safety for her and her kids. I can't do that. I can't give her freedom and safety, but we can. It's part of the heart of this house. And we'll have the house opened up in Tallapoosa in a couple weeks, full of women and kids that'll be here and be a part of us. And by you supporting us and giving and being a part and, and ladies volunteering and by you investing there, guess what? You're investing in their dreams of freedom. And every time you show up and every time you give, it expands your capacity to do good. There's a man that almost lost his life to his addiction. And he's finding healing for the pain that he spent so many years trying to cover up. And you don't even know what he looks like. But I do. I had a wet spot on my shoulder last Monday after I got done talking at Blake House and he hugged me and there were so many tears. And you don't even know what he looks like, but by you supporting us and, and giving, and we give to the Blake House, and I get to go and speak to those guys and minister to them, guess you're part of his dream for healing and freedom. And you're so much bigger than you could be on your own. I'm so thankful for the opportunity to get to be a part of something bigger than myself to be able to invest and give and you're a part of that too when you show up and when you give and when you encourage me to be who God's called me to be and when you show up and clean the church and you watch the nursery and you become part of a story that's so much bigger than you or me and your world just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and you're building a legacy you're sowing into the kingdom let's pray God thank you God thank you for changing the way we think thank you for changing the way we see things God thank you for giving us an opportunity to meet and connect and to grow and to encourage each other and to to call each other out when we're being stupid and for giving us a place to sacrifice. God help us to each be a light to our world. 
to our homes first, our families, and to the world that you've placed us in. God, help us to make sure we've got our private devotion, our relationship with you, and our public gathering. That we've got them both because we want to walk through the doors that you have for us. God, help us to release what we're holding and not follow fear, but to chase after purpose. We love you. Thanks for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.